And so I started volunteering my time even more and helping these women. And when I got the Jeep, I said, what can I do with my Jeep? How can I give back to the community? What can we do? And I started going on social media, becoming a part of all of these Jeep communities, watching what they did. And I was like, wow, I can really make a difference here. And um, I you think all that connection happened from what you also saw from your father dealing with the different yes. muscle car communities. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, it's interesting on the drive here, I was thinking about, and I said, how ironic is it that I grew up in the car community? And it's funny because when I told my dad about the Jeep, he's like, don't belong to any of the Jeep communities. It's just nothing but drama. And here I am today affiliated with 392 Jeep communities in the world. some value giving some tips and tricks of what they could do to actually keep going so i want to get right into it rachel um where does it start for you you're born in boyan i was born and raised in boyan beach and um i've always serviced the community volunteered the community in some way even when i was younger um i was a boyan beach police explorer so we actually did a lot of things with the community as well i um, volunteered at all of the animal rescues i did what i could and then um i was also raised in the car community. My dad's a very well-known car restoration guy. So I got to grow up with some very famous cars, Muscle Magazine at my house every weekend. Mm. We would go to car shows where they were doing not-for-profits and raffles to give back to the community. So that always like stuck with me. Um, I did go to college later in life, um, but I didn't really feel like that's what I wanted to do, which was child psychology. I I just so you're a child psychologist. Also. That's my degree. Yes. So let's start. Let's, let's go back a little because you just gave me a lot right away. Um, so growing up in Boynton, raised by mom and dad in the same home. Yes. They through the whole time. Yes. They. My mom and dad had a very um, well. It's not very unique nowadays, but my mom and dad pretty much were just roommates when we were growing up. Of course, yeah. So they had separate lives and everything, and it was pretty challenging and difficult for my brother and I when we were growing up. So it was your brother and okay. Yes, yes. And then um, I was married when I was 27 years old. But don't skip it. Don't go all the way there. Yeah, I want to deal with this childhood. <laughs> yes. Because that, that's not, like you said, it's normal, but it's not normal. Um, yes. So growing up, same homes? It was the same home. But yes. not married. Oh, they were married, but they lived in separate rooms. Oh, one of yes. those. Yeah. Yes. A couple, but I, I had a buddy of mine that experienced the yes. same thing. They realized that my parents were originally from New York and um, they were forced to get married because they had a little bit too much fun while they were there. And which was me. Which, yes. And so my dad came to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> they had a little too much fun when they were there. So you be, you're the fun child. I was the fun child. Yes. Okay. And so my dad decided to take my mom from New York okay. and move her to Florida. And uh, they tried to make the marriage work and they had my brother um, three years later. And after that, nothing. They thought the child was going to be the next, Correct. was going to fix everything. Yes. As their problem. Yes. And my so, mom, go ahead. No, please. You. So my mom went through some, 
pretty bad issues with addiction and alcoholism Mm. and whatnot. And so I became the caregiver in the house with my brother. My dad worked very long hours. And so I moved out at a very young age. I moved out when I was 16 on my own. And I still managed to go to high school, graduate from high school. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa. (laughs) So you're telling me your mom suffered with addiction. Yes, she did. Early age. How old were you around that time? I was probably about eight when that happened. So eight, and then you started being a caregiver of the home in that process. Yes. Yeah, wow. To my five-year-old brother. To your five-year-old brother. Mm -hmm. And whoa, whoa, okay. Like- like what was that that trigger? Like what was it for you that you just knew you had to do this? Like or how? First of all, how dramatic was that? How? how- well, I mean, it's it's unfortunate because when you're put in that position, mm-hmm. you kind of just push the stress away because you have you you have, you have a job, right? You have a job to do. You know, it's either you survive and you figure it out, and you have your kid brother with you, um, and you just deal with it. You know, um, I think it. It definitely raised some issues for me when I was older, as far as choosing who I wanted my husband to be, who I was supposed to marry, what that person was supposed to be like. Mm. Um, And so, you know, but yeah, I didn't really reflect back on it. Actually, to be honest with you, I didn't reflect back on, on the actual majority of the childhood until my mom passed away. And so when I had to fly up to New York. How old were you when your mom passed away? I was 38 years old. So you didn't deal with it. You just were like, eh, that's life. This is my life. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to become a robot pretty much. You know, you know, if she needed money, even after I moved out, if my mom needed help, if she needed to go to doctor's appointments, because she had health issues as well. Mm -hmm. I was there. My dad really didn't want anything to do with it. Um, So I stepped in and took care of it. So you took the responsibility of being the parent in in, in so many words. Yeah. Um, And then my brother, he ended up, they did, my parents didn't split up till my brother was 24 and moved out. So my parents really cuffed it out. Yeah, they really did. And so that was when my mom decided to go back home to New York and my dad stayed down here. So did your mom ever, how did she, did she deal with the addiction at at a time or? Well, no, she never dealt with it. Um, Part of it was, you know, she had some severe health issues that put her in a lot of pain. So originally it was only the alcohol. Um, she was very depressed when she was taken away from her home in New York. Her whole family was there. Wow. So um, my dad was not the most sympathetic person, mm-hmm. but he was working all the time. And, you all, the mic. Oh, sorry. Your favorite thing. <laughs> he was, he was working all the time. So, you know, um, she never really addressed it. She still had issues when she was up in New York. Um, but I didn't really address it, anything until she passed away. And then I started talking to her family, my family, and I started hearing the real story and things that had happened. The dark side. Yeah. And that's when I was like, wow, there really was some issues there. I think there. addiction, to the people that I know that have dealt with addiction, addiction is a it's a real disease. It is. And my brother, unfortunately, fell into it as well. So wow. when I moved out, because I moved out when I was 16 years old. So the minute I moved out, he started into that addiction with pills. So, so when did you, like, you made the decision to move out at 16. Why? Um, I think I was just tired at that point of not being appreciated, mm. um, being abused, you know, um, verbally all the time. And, um, I just felt like it was, I would be better, um, struggling and making money, um, and going to school than being at home and dealing. So you with wanted it. to free yourself from the atmosphere yes. that you were dealing with there. Yeah. I was terrified that I was going to turn into the same thing. 
So that was my biggest fear is that I was going to do that, you know, and, you know, um, my brother did, you know, my, my brother is still dealing with it and Mm -hmm. he's up in Connecticut. But, I'm from Connecticut. Oh, there you go. So he's from Stanford. That's where he's at um, right now. I'm in Bridgeford, 20 minutes away. Okay. So, you know, he, we don't talk much, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I just, I was very terrified that I was going to fall into the same habits and behavior that my mom was into. Um, and my dad, too, to be honest with you, because my dad was, most people thought he was very cold. I think it more had to do with the fact that he was working a lot to provide for us. Uh, um, but, you know, I didn't want to fall into either of those categories. Because one, you saw one disconnecting, just working, working, working. Correct. Two, you saw addiction. Yes. So you're like, there's no, there wasn't no family time, basically. No. It was just grind it out. Yes. I, I spent a lot of time with my friends. I spent a lot of time surfing. I so was, disconnecting was your yeah, thing. Yeah, just getting out of that situation. If I could drag my brother with me, I would to get him out of the house as well. But we did a lot of outdoors things. Um, and then of course my family that I do have here in Florida on my dad's side, um, we would spend time with them. So I so your father's them. family is from, no, they moved down here as they well. Moved down before, after, no, oh, before he before, came down. Okay. Yeah. And um, actually my entire family's Broward County Sheriff's office. They're retired now, but most wow. of my family, I was the only girl. So Ooh, I have to be intense. So yes. now in that same life scenario that you're going through, you guys also, your father was dealing with cars or he was, that was his outlet when he did have time. So he actually restored, that was his, um, my dad was very involved with cars. So he would get cars. Famous people would ask him to restore their cars to original. He was in several magazines. Muscle magazine was at my house every weekend. He would go to, car shows all the time and my brother wasn't really interested in it but i saw you guys bond yes yes so you think that bonding was the outlet for you guys also it was yes and to this day it still is my dad is actually um in north florida right now um helping my uncle and um you know he he sees how passionate i am about my jeep and the jeeping world and at first, he was a little shocked because I did not let him in on the fact that I was buying a Jeep. Um, <laughs> when I called him and finally the deal was done, I said, so I bought a Jeep? And he's like, oh, what? <laughs> this is, this was like the breaking point. Yeah. yeah. He wanted me to have like, you know, a Mustang or a Camaro. Of course, or everything he loves. Rod. Exactly. You know, you his protege. He, you know, he's raised you to love muscle cars. Exactly. And but it just didn't work out like that. No. And he, well, and he said to me, he's like, well, you know, when you're ready to start, you know, redoing it and building it, you let me know and I'll take care of it. And I said, let me make my first car payment first. I said, right, I just out of a that. divorce. So, um, I called him 30 days later and I said, I appreciate and love you. However, I'm going to build the Jeep myself. So that, before we get to the divorce, I got that part. Yes. I just heard that. So, you said at 16, you moved out. Yes. Moved out by yourself, moved out with friends, moved out with. Moved out with my, at that time, high school sweetheart. Your sweet, of course. Yeah. What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. So you moved out with your high school sweetheart. Did you live with his parents or something or you guys moved out? You two just. We originally lived with his parents. And then at 17, we had our first apartment in Boca. So you guys were adults. Yes. A, well, you basically been taking care of a home yes. for eight, nine years before that. Yes. So this was, so how was that experience for you? Um, It was definitely a lot of fun. Um, You know, times were easier back then with money and whatnot too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
there wasn't a lot of stress. We lived in a very small apartment on Jeffrey Street in Boca. And um, we both worked at night doing what we had to do, focused on our studies during the day. Oh, you guys um, were in school also? High school or college? High school. So you're in high school. Moved. You were an adult at high school. Okay, yes. this is interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, and it's Times funny. It was different also back then. It was, but it, it, it is funny that a lot of my uh, family that saw my brother and I outside of the house, they always said that I had an old soul. So, um, you know, I think that I was lucky to have that, you know, personality mm -hmm. because it did get me through all of the things I that I had to go through. I think you were raised that way. I think you, yes. were, you were basically taking care of the home at eight. Yes. So you, I think your old soul, because you were actually yeah. 10 years older than you were um, yes. starting from eight years old. Yes. So, and then you guys, as you guys are still together when you decided to go to school, like how did that Well, no, we, we separated. Um, and then I was on my own from that point forward. And, um, I didn't go back to school until I was 27 when I met my first husband. Wow. Yes. So what, what was the influence or, well, in that time period also, how difficult was it to be on your own? Were you going back and forth to home or you were just were living by yourself? I was living or? by myself. Yes. And what, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was easy. I hustled. <laughs> um, I worked three jobs. I worked for five nightclubs, um, manning their, doing their books for them. Wow. And then in Palm Beach County. And then I was also a bartender for concession at Sunfest. So I was on the barge at Sunfest for five years as lead bartender. Um, and then um, I also did like WWF and all the concerts and stuff. I was bartender for them as well. Um, so I get to you meet believe some really the hustle people. came from like your father? Or just um, growing up the way you grew up? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, you know, handed everything on a silver platter. So my dad... You know, when I turned 14 and I had the opportunity to be a bad girl at Publix, I took it because I I knew I wasn't going to have if if I wanted a car at 16, I need to start saving money now. You know, I needed to do those things in order to to have the things I wanted. And I think I I'm not sure who I got it from, but I my dad is you know retired now, but he um I don't know. He never had, I don't think three jobs and was going to school and you know, right, all right. that craziness. And, you know, and I've just, I have that personality where I have to always be busy doing something. Mm. Um, by the time I was 27 years old, I was in school, college, part-time. I had just bought my first town home. I was planning a wedding. So I had a lot. Um, and I had, you know, I had a lot on my plate, even at that point, trying to juggle everything. Um, Do you believe the hustle came from no option? Correct. Yes. So the moment you realize you had no option, you just locked in and knew yes. you had to do everything you needed to do. Yes. And it, it was also that mentality of nobody's going to take care of me but myself. I need to rely on myself. So I can't rely on somebody else handing me a paycheck or, do you or think money. you that came from your upbringing? No. No, not at all. No. It, I, I think it was just survival, you know, survival. is really what it came down to. And by the time I did meet my ex-husband, um, we, I thought I was doing the right thing with him. You know, I had always dated the bad boy. Those bad boys are terrible. You know, growing up and, you know, here comes this guy who graduated top of his class at Virginia Tech. And oh, this, this was the one. Yeah, I went to prep school and um, his very traditional family. And I um, wanted that because you're not from a traditional I family. I thought that was the right thing to do. Wow. And so, um, you know, on a good day, he was 128 pounds. To this day, I still call him a kid. He looks, he's 12 right, years right, old. Right, right. And, um, you know, he had 
quite a bit of hidden secrets. Of course. And most, most structure, yes. everything looks pretty in the surface family. Does. They're very good at hiding the bad that, stuff. That's why they look so good. Cause yes. they're very good at hiding it. Yes. And he, um, it got really, really bad, you know, and I'm 44 years old. So one of the biggest things that my generation, I, if, if you've survived, I'm so super proud because we've been through things that even our grandparents hadn't had to deal with recession, you know, all of these things happening and losing our homes um, because of it and all, all of this. And it was a huge stress on a lot of people. He was um, a branch manager for a heavy equipment rental company. Okay. So he did very well until he lost his job based on his addiction and he was an alcoholic and I had no clue. He hit it very well. And you would thought somebody like me who grew up with it, I could have. You should know. It. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't find out and start seeing the signs until it was very late. We were together for 10 years. So, but he, you do. You, wow. So he was in school, mm-hmm. did very well in school. Very well. Got out. You guys got home. You guys got married. You yes. guys got a home. And through the whole time he was dealing with, with, alcoholism yes. I'm assuming that's the right term to use yes and you never knew through that whole time no and that one of the things that you had mentioned earlier on was um tips and tricks about things in your life that happen and what you should go through and there's one thing that um I was taught and it was by very actually my ex-husband of all people um was to always trust your gut if your gut is off and you don't feel comfortable don't do it pass and even the day of our wedding my gut was freaking out so you should have passed and i ignored it <laughs> he told you i he know basically told you if your gut tells you to go yes. run yes. for your life yeah and i didn't you can't blame the guy he no. told you yeah and so um but yeah he he went through and then on top of that he lost his best friend to cancer who's basically his mm. brother and he just was not capable of dealing with stress at Almost. all so when it started to show is when it got worse, the drinking got even worse every day. And that's when I noticed it. I tried to get him help. And growing up in that situation, one of the things that you're taught is that nobody can help themselves, help them but themselves. And so, and I had fought to help my mother for so long, I was exhausted and it got me really nowhere. And so when this happened, I helped him for a certain amount of time. And then I gave him an ultimatum. So you think you, so you basically created boundaries because you saw this already before, Correct. but you also saw it and never was successful from the things you saw. Correct. So that automatically triggered so many different things. I could only imagine. It did. It really did. And, you know, I was put in a tough situation as to what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Did I want to stay with him? Did I want to work through it? We'd already tried. Um, And I decided to go up to the Suwannee River um, to see my uncle at that time and took three days sitting at the river thinking about what I wanted to do. And I got back in my truck at the time, went home and gave him a contract. And you gave him a, what was on a contract? Basically, you know, he had 30 days to get himself um, help. help, you know, get into a rehab facility, get therapy, counseling, whatever that he needed to do. And he didn't want to. So that's when I told him that he needed to leave. And I was in a situation where my salary was just, his salary had found another job after he lost his job, but it was barely helping to pay the bills. Mm. 
So I was basically by myself in a huge house in Fort Myers, all by myself with no friends or family over there. And I decided to have an estate sale. I think for me, I hear so many different triggers when you're talking about this. Yeah. Like you leaving home again, all by yourself all by again. Myself. It's like yeah. your mom went through the, like just the connection it's is crazy. so crazy. Yeah. And so I sold everything and all I had at the time was my truck and my dog and my suitcases in the back of my truck. And so I guess the contract did not work. Did not work. No. And I could have gone anywhere with my background and my experience with what I was doing. And uh, everybody wanted me to come home. My dad wanted me to come home. Everybody wanted me here. And so I said, okay, I'm going to come home. And I downsized my entire life. I lived in a 600 square foot beach cottage. From what to what? What were 4, you? 4,000 square foot home. 4,000 square foot and now 600,000 square foot. 600 600. Square feet. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 600 yeah. square feet. That's a little extreme. Thank God I'm very OCD and organized because, and, <laughs> yes. and creative, but I loved it. It was my sanctuary. It was behind a big house in Delray. Mm. I had a massive backyard and um, I decided that I needed to and dump. The water. Yes. And the water. I was right on the intercoastal. And so I decided to sell my truck and I bought this Jeep that was. This is where it all got started. Yes. It was completely stripped. It was a very standard 2010 Jeep. And uh, I brought it home and I was in the driveway and I was just staring at it like, what am I going to do now? So what made you buy the Jeep? Was that for you, basically? Um, Well, you know, going through such a traumatic experience growing up, you as you get older, you, you, like we were talking about before you, all those memories, you just push back into your head. You don't, you're just focused on what, what's that hand basically. But I, when I started to relax at the cottage, I was looking back at my childhood and some of the fun things that we would do. One of the things that we always did was my dad would take the cars on A1A, the convertibles, especially. And I would see Jeeps pass by and I'm like, Oh dad, I want a Jeep someday. And I was a little kid. And he's like, those things are dangerous. They flip over. No. And so when I saw that Jeep there and it was my favorite color blue, I was just like, I want that Jeep. I Went thought back to the connection. Yeah. I felt like that was fun and it was my release and I could enjoy myself. And I did, you know, before I even did anything to the Jeep, I would take it on A1A every Saturday morning and drive all the way from uh, Palm beach down to Fort Lauderdale back and forth and just top off the Jeep and just listen to my music. And that was my therapy. Um, so I, well, what I want you to do now, because I realize we're talking, mm-hmm. I know what you do mm-hmm. for the viewers that don't know what you do, because this is start the start of what you do. Yes. Explain to people who you are and what you do. Well, um, the name of my company is called Island Off Road. We do a very Talk large, we do a very large Jeep event every March in Singer Island. We had almost a thousand Jeeps there in March. We basically, um, just reach out to the community. I use my Jeep as a tool. One of the things when I came home from Fort Myers, I went through a very deep depression and it actually put me in a hospital for 13 days. I almost died. And, um, you know, there was a big reflection time when I was there and one of my doctors had come in and uh, I had nine doctors and he was my head doctor. And um, he sat down next to me and he says, I know what you did. He's like, I've, I know you inside and out. I've done every test on you, but there's one thing that I can't fix until you tell me out loud what you tried to do. And I did, I had to tell him that I tried to commit suicide. That's what you're holding back. I didn't tell you that doc. Yes. And he says, I know he goes, I know he goes, now we can fix it. And so 
really what happened was I started going to counseling therapist and then group counseling. And I didn't have the same issues as these women had, but I did have the depression part of it. Mm -hmm. And when I started hearing their stories and what they had gone through, I was like, wow, what can I do to help these women where they have nobody to, to listen to them. And they've been through such traumatic things, but they're labeled as, Oh, they're a drug addict or they're an alcoholic. Um, but it goes deeper than that. And so I started volunteering my time even more and helping these women. And when I got the Jeep, I said, what can I do with my Jeep? How can I give back to the community? What can we do? And I started going on social media, becoming a part of all of these Jeep communities, watching what they did. And I was like, wow, I can really make a difference here. And um, I you think all that connection happened from what mm -hmm. you also saw from your father dealing with the different yes. muscle car communities. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, it's interesting on the drive here, I was thinking about, and I said, how ironic is it that I grew up in the car community? And it's funny because when I told my dad about the Jeep, he's like, don't belong to any of the Jeep communities. It's just nothing but drama. And here I am today affiliated with 392 Jeep communities in the world. Yeah. You didn't listen. No, I did not listen. Um, and uh, it just, I felt so good when I started helping others and did my first um, meet and greet at Tilted Kill in Boca. And I worked with the police benevolent and we were able to give money back to them. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then when I started to become aware of Down Syndrome Society, Gold Coast Down Syndrome Society in Boynton, I really wanted to give back to them too, because they're helping these families who bring a child into the world that has Downs and they have no idea what they're doing. And this school really picked up their, you know, you know, they took a stance and helped these parents without asking really for any money at all. And were able to get these parents to understand their child more. And I thought that was important for our community too. And then it just evolved into other things. Um, we work with, I'm an ambassador to mission 22, which is our veterans that suffer from PTSD. And that is what I was diagnosed with was PTSD. And, um, I manage my PTSD with therapy and helping others. And so when I became an ambassador, um, I really wanted to hear their stories and what they truly went through and how could I help them more. And I said, let's do fun things. We do off-road therapy with them. We get them to smile. We get them to, you know, be a part of something. And then it just went on through that, you know, um, I wanted to focus more on our community. You know, one of the biggest things for me here I am doing this massive event in Singer Island and don't think for a second that when I get off of Blue Heron that I don't see what's going on in Riviera Beach. And so for me, it was an immediate like pull that said, I can't have this huge successful event and all these people driving through here and not giving back. So we have to do something so that they know that we appreciate them as well, that we're not separated East and West. Exactly. And so that's why we help them with our event as well. Um, and it just kept going. You know, I had not-for-profits asking me, how can you help me? What can you do? And here we are today, we have this big gigantic event and then we have all of these other events. I usually do between four and five events per month. So I have. And what do you guys do in these events? You guys raise money. We do. We raise money. We'll do raffles. We'll do car shows. We'll do whatever we can. Uh, we do uh, scavenger hunts, you know, anything that we possibly can. Um, so one of the things that's like, one of the things that I've realized also that is like big for me to hear 
it sounds like you are going through all these different things, but you decided to make everybody else. I don't know if it's more important than you or you found a space in your mind that you feel like, you know, you want to serve and bring value while you're going through the things you're going through. Honestly, when I see that I've helped somebody and I've put a smile on their face, it's healed me more. So that's what it it comes down to. That literally is my therapy. I do have a therapist. I decided to take a holistic approach to my PTSD. So I'm not on medications, but every time I help somebody or I've put a smile on somebody's face, it literally to the core fixes me a little bit more. And that's why I do what I do. You know, I want to see people smile. I don't want to see people struggle. I want everybody to get along with each other. I know it's kind of a butterflies and rainbows, a thing, important. but it is very important, especially today when we've had all of these crazy things in the past couple of years happen, um, you know, COVID elections, everything. And, you know, you see people bullying each other or gossiping confrontation. And it's like, wait a minute, guys, let's just stop that for a second and just appreciate what we have and what we do for each other and just stop the nonsense. And so when I start to see people getting along and laughing together and helping others in our community, that makes me feel way better. So you took, so basically you believe serving and bringing value, bring more peace to what you're dealing with. Absolutely. 100%. Yes, it does. Wow. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Is it just going through the things you've been through in life? Definitely going through the things that I've been through in life. You know, I, you know, I didn't want to be put in that position ever again where I was running away from something all by myself, um, literally, you know, struggling to where I was going to get my next meal from, you know, and I just didn't want to be in that position anymore. And um, I needed to, like I said, focus on me and taking care of me and the things that make me feel better. And if that means giving back to the community or, or volunteering my time to do something, then that's what I have to do. You know, and that's why my Jeep is, I trust me, I have a lot of fun with my Jeep, but my Jeep is a tool. You know, I can't tell you my Jeep is crazy. So I don't know if you've seen it, but my Jeep is an off-road vehicle, but its theme is this whole underwater mermaid theme. I have a wrap at the bottom. It's got mermaids and pirate ships. It's crazy insane. And even going down the road, if I'm at a red light and there's you know what a- what we got to do? I'm talking to production while I'm talking mm-hmm. with you right now. For people that don't, I think we're going to have to go down and shoot your Jeep, shoot for, Jeep. and try to insert it in. Absolutely. Sorry, he saw it. And so I'll be at a red light. And for me, just to get somebody to smile is makes me mm. so happy. So I'll be at a red light and there'll be kids in a backseat of a car and they're like, mom, look at her Jeep. And I, wow. you know, I wave. And of course I have my ducks. And so if we're at the light <laughs> long enough. What are you talking about? <laughs> so in the Jeeping world, and somebody will have to correct me here. I'm, the history I've been taught with the ducks is that the um, housekeeping would leave ducks in the cruise lines and the, the rooms mm. to make everybody smile, to welcome them. And somehow, some way, Jeeps and ducks became a thing. And it's been going on for quite a few years. And basically, it's a rubber duck. And it has a tag on it that usually says something funny, like, nice ducking Jeep. Like, ducking. Nice ducking ducking Jeep. Um, And give them a smile. Follow us on our Instagram page. Follow us on our Facebook page. And so, we do that with our event in Island Off-Road. And I've probably, in the past two years, have passed out over a 1,000 ducks. 
So, and it, like I said, it just makes everybody smile, you know, and usually what that person will do is they'll take a picture of their duck with their Jeep and they'll post it on the page mm. saying, thank you. I can't believe it. I got my first duck today. And it's just, it's brought a lot of happiness. This little cheesy That's rubber duck. branding. So I want to get yes. into the business now a little deeper mm-hmm. for those that help out nonprofit organizations, help raise money, yes, support nonprofit organizations, but also there's a whole business of what you're doing. There's yes. a process of hosting events, yes. building events, building sponsors, yes. connecting with all these different people. Could you talk a little bit more about that for the ones that are watching and want to learn how to do this themselves? So how did you start this whole business first from the beginning? Well, you I know, know it was a Jeep. I know you serving people, but yes. like, I want to go a little deeper as far as relationships, connection, the events. Like, how did you get into all that? Well, you know, like I said, when I first got the Jeep, I went onto Facebook and to Instagram and I wanted to see who was out there in the Jeeping community. Is there a Jeeping community? And it, there was, there definitely was. And, um, you know, I just started following them doing posts. I also empower other women who are in the Jeeping world that don't. So you, you found know, a community yes. and you started building a relationship Correct. with that community. Over and over again with different communities until it spread all over the world, basically. Um, and, uh, then I started creating my own pages and, um, and then I started talking to vendors, asking them questions. Is that a Jeep airing? Which one? The second one? No. Oh, I was about to say, this is, you really out of control. This no, Jeep this is, it's an arrow. It's the Thought start like, of an arrow on the end I of an arrow. Like a Jeep earring. I was like, okay. I do have Jeep earrings. <laughs> no Jeep tattoos yet though. Um, but yeah, so basically I, I just, Got myself into it. Then they started asking me to be admins of their groups. Women would ask me questions. Managing Managing their social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so then I created my own pages. And then um, we were, I I started doing events on my own. And they were small in scale. And then um, what really pushed me to run my own business was the first year that we decided we were going to do, I had always thought in the back of my head that I wanted to do a massive Jeep event for Palm Beach County. I had gone to my first real Jeep event the first year that I had my Jeep called Jeep Beach in Daytona. And that was a couple of guys who started it, I think it's 19 years ago. And they were like, let's do a Jeep festival. And today it's a week long. It's just like bike week. They have 10,000 Jeeps there. They shut down the Daytona 500 for all the vendors. They shut down Main Street and they let Jeeps drive on the beach. And so I said, wouldn't it be cool someday to do that for Palm Beach County. And then I tucked it away because it is a huge thing to start trying to figure out. And fortunately and unfortunately, we were doing our traditional Jeep event, which is every month at the Palm Beach Outlet Mall. It's called Cars and Coffee. Mm. And my husband, my new husband and I, we run Jeep Row. So every month we set up our Jeep Row we, so you guys do Jeep row in conjunction with Cars and Coffee. Right, at Cars and Coffee, if you've ever been out there, each row is pretty much specific to a type of car community or vehicle, whether it's Mustang row or, you know, F-150 row, we run Jeep route. And I had, we had a gentleman come up to us and he had said, you know, I've been following you and your husband. I've been kind of creeping the events that you do. I <laughs> it's think- pretty creepy. Yes. I think you guys are amazing. Um, I'd like to get into a partnership with you. And, um, here comes another tip, um, and let's do something. And so, um, I said, okay, absolutely. And, uh, unfortunately I had never run my own business and mm. it kind of burned me. We lost a lot of money dealing with this particular person. 
he was ended up being pretty shady and um i was very smart my gut was telling me that i had to hold on to our raffle money which was for our not-for-profits and thank god i did because he was going to take it and um we kind of had to cut ties with him because i didn't feel comfortable my gut was telling me to hold on to those money bags that day at the event because he had uh, that night had taken the rest of the money out of the accounts yes and so i basically said to my husband, I want to continue doing this. The city of Riviera beach had wanted nothing to do with this guy. He had done it previously and they were very hesitant about him doing it this time. And they didn't burn the city, but he burned me and my husband. So I said to my husband, yes. So you, you started hosting this event in, in the city, Riviera beach Mm -hmm. on Singer Island. Mm Mm-hmm. And this guy said, I'm, he brought you here or? He did. He basically said that he would be an investor. I would be the face. I would do all the promoting and everything else. Um, and um, we would have a partnership. And of course, we were like, sure, no problem. We can do it. We didn't sign anything. We didn't do anything. You're trusting. Trusting him. And um, I brought in all of the money from the sponsors to actually hold the event. Because um, it is very expensive to have something Absolutely. of this magnitude. And um, he ended up stealing everything. Yes. Yes. And I was, it, it took me a good three days. You know, I was shocked, upset, angry because I am a caring person. And I um, never believe what happened to you. It happened to me before, but yeah. And so three days later I said, we're going to do it on our own. And I created the LLC and we had already kind of had the LLC in place because when we do events and crazy stuff, when we do off-roading events, when we do um, trips to Windward Walls in Miami, whatever we're doing, God forbid somebody gets hurt. Um, so we had to, insurance. yes, we carry liability insurance for it. So we basically just started branding the LLC that I'd already had, which is Island Off-Road. And um, we changed the name from uh, Jeeps on the Island Music Festival to Island Off-Road Jeep Music Festival. And basically we just started pushing it and we changed the name. We changed the graphics. We changed everything. And one of the things they tell you when you do an event that your first year, if you're successful, you'll double your numbers every single year after at an event. And on our first event, we had 800 Jeeps. And this was right after the pandemic. What that pan actually what had happened was we had it scheduled Jeeps in Singer Island. Game changer. Yes. And that was the first year and it was successful. My husband and I, um, he is my best friend. He's my business partner and he's, he's my husband and we work very well together, which is unheard of that's, because that's, that's amazing. That's yeah. Definitely. It's a, it's a difficult thing. It is. And he, you know, this is a guy who's never been in the Jeep world, had a, a Dodge Ram when I met him and <laughs> you didn't change his whole life. I did. His birthday was on Valentine's day and I bought him a red Jeep. <laughs> and so one time for great guys man I just want to make sure I'm clear about that <laughs> and he he's fully involved he's also an ambassador to our not-for-profits he's amazing but we work very well together and um we're very organized and that's part of the success we had for our first year we had gone to other first year jeep events and you were able to learn from those <laughs> yes and so our second year, we had a thousand Jeeps and that, so when we had the first event, it was supposed to be in March oh, and it was not, it was postponed because COVID had happened. So we had to wait a whole nother year. The city was begging us to get the event done because they needed to bring revenue in as well. 
but March was too soon. So the first year we pushed it a year and May to June or March, April, May. So we pushed it two months forward. So we actually had it in May the first year and we still ended up having 800 Jeeps there. Then we did the second one this year and we had a thousand Jeeps. So for me, I'm, I'm so inspired <clears throat> by your story. So you went through the, all the drama, mm -hmm. all the tragic thing happening, divorce, disconnecting, mm -hmm. losing, every, well, leaving everything or however it happened. Yeah. You found something that you just wanted for yourself. You mm -hmm. did for yourself. You bought this Jeep. Then you turned that Jeep around and made it how you could bring value to more people. Correct. And really deal with your depression mm -hmm. things. I mean, you almost took your life. I mean, you've been through life. Yes. But you still decided to keep on hustling and still figure out a way to keep on doing it. Absolutely. Like, like for, and, and then it gets deeper. So you go through, I mean, I think let me kind of skip over the, you bring so much value into the community because if you're bringing a thousand Jeeps into Singer Island, that means there's people in the cars. Yes. At least one. Yes. So you're at least bringing a thousand people that's going to buy something to eat. Yes. Stay in a hotel. Mm -hmm. So you're bringing big value to this community. I think one of the things that I'm, one of the things that I am going to be involved in next year is how do we bring more people from the West side into the community? Absolutely. Just to see it. Yes. Because I know what it did for me <clears throat> when I saw things. Yes. And I think just that community overall, you might inspire a kid that want to get into the community, buy a Jeep themselves. Yes. Gives them something to fight for. Yeah. So for example, going back to what makes me like super happy and heals me the first year that we did the event, you know, City of uh, City of Riviera Beach, that you know, they were hesitant. They're like, "Oh my God, Jeeps and how are they going to act and behave and this and that?" And we have the high rise community. Are they going to complain? You have a live stage in the sand, all this music coming in, and um, let's keep our fingers crossed that there's no complaints, so you can have a second year. Mm. So on that Monday after the event was over, now mind you, on that even on that Saturday and Sunday while the event was going on, we had residents coming down from the high rises and. Um, from the neighborhoods, mm -hmm. dancing in the sand with the Jeepers, powerful. having fun. And I'm like, is this really happening? I mean, we don't see that enough in this community no. in Riviera Beach, um, that how much the neighborhoods really connect. They do. And once we block and we disconnect from politics correct. and noise, you know. Yes. And it was amazing. So that on that Monday, the city council has a meeting um, to talk about the event, to make sure our event was good. And are we allowed to do it the next year? So I called Richard with Parks and Recreation. I'm like, how did it go? He's like, this is the first time ever that we had zero complaints. Wow. We had residents that aren't even Jeepers calling in saying, can she do this twice a year? Wow, that's amazing. And so that was so amazing. And then our second year, we had the Jewish Center even calling me. How can how can you help us? Can we get exposure from the event? I'm like, absolutely. Whoever calls, you got everybody's a part of this event regardless. There's no admission admissions free unless you're a jeeper to come into the event uh we have vendors that we help we help our local businesses in the community as well huge so you know it's a big thing for us and every year we want it to get bigger and bigger and bigger um but it I, is I, I believe it will i think it's the community partnership is important is. um with different businesses and also the support from yes. the leaders in the community of supporting something like this yes. i think you're bringing big value into the community yes. but i I, I want to touch on this a little bit because, you know, you building this business out and hustling this business out. So you're working with city. How is that process? Because you're not just putting this event together. 
There's a whole behind the scene. There's the flyers. There's the marketing. There's connecting the communities. There's the relationship with the city. Like, speak a little bit, because I'm trying to give tips and tricks for people that yeah. want to do this. So, um, it may not appear that, this way, but um, I really am shy, um, especially when I started <laughs> off in the jeeping community. When I was asked to speak with a microphone, I was like, oh, no. And I would, like, feel, like, sick a little before I got up. And I was terrified all the time. And one of the things that I have learned, especially now being in charge and taking ownership of this event Mm -hmm. is that I can't be afraid to talk to people and I have to push that fear away and cold call people walk into their office unexpected with a smile on my face and bring them things and tell them about us. And it's work. It's, it's, you know, getting your feet on the ground, picking up the phone, reaching out, sending emails. How do you conquer that fear? Uh, I have my, I have a good support group of friends who like just before coming in here, my dad is one of them. He, um, he was texting me and I don't text and drive. So I, I live in Boca. So I got here and I was in the parking lot here. I believe it or not way earlier than I came here into the office. (laughs) And my dad says, how are you doing? And I said, I'm here. I'm getting ready to walk into the office for my interview. And he's like, just breathe. So they all know they like keep me in check and I let them know right beforehand. And and of course my husband, he is my biggest supporter and um, he's amazing. And he gets on the phone with me and he always talks, you know, talks to me, but it's gotten easier as the time has gone on. I'm not so much afraid anymore. I still get a little nervous, but if somebody tells me, Hey, I heard about this company that might be interested in being involved with your event. I'm like, give me their phone number. And there's no hesitation or, Oh, I should wait a day or two. I just call them immediately. So I I don't give myself time to even think about it, you know? Um, But I, it, it, every day gets better and better. better. I think for me, what I'm noticing right away is the same mentality you have when you're younger with no option. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing you're doing now while building this business. Correct. And the only difference now is that instead of it being focused on how can I, I have to help my family. Now it's how do I help my, I have to help my community. You have a bigger family. I have a bigger family, you know? And so that, that drives me big time because the more successful I am, the better they're going to be because we'll be able to give them the funds to do the things that they need to do for their community. And that, that's what is really, really how many people you think you're servicing? I mean, you're bringing value to servicing from online to community. How many people you think you're reaching every month? <laughs> Lots, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. When I wake up in the morning, I usually have about six to 700 notifications on my phone of people either asking me questions or they're posting something and they want my feedback or whatever the case. That's how my morning starts. And then once that's done, I create and do my own personal posts and my uh, on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. And then by lunchtime, I've got another five or six hundred notifications again. So it's it's a crazy cycle. I start at five thirty in the morning, and I'm lucky if I get to bed by midnight. You're constantly having conversation with multiple communities. Yes, yes, and it's not just the, even. Um, the Jeep world, like here in South Florida, we have other car communities. We have South Florida Car Club. We have all these things. So when I'm doing a Jeep poster or we're doing a car show, I'm allowed to post into those pages as well. Um, wow. I've also been given the advantage of you got to get creative when you do things. So, for instance, during COVID, you know, when you're on Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter and whatnot, you'll have these 
uh, rules that you have to abide by when you're on their page. No right. advertising, this, that, or the other. Well, there's ways around that. Um, I've become friends with many founders of Jeep communities and clubs, and I've had actual conversations with them about what I want to do for our community. I send them care packages with free hats and shirts and stickers. Every Jeeper loves their decals. And so I create these packages, especially during COVID, and I would ship them out to them wherever they are in the country and wherever they are in the world. And they're always like, oh, well, Rachel's going to post on here. It can stay up. She, she's a part of the community. She She's very involved. And so I've actually have that better advantage of getting our stuff out there more because I've actually created relationships with these people, not just on a keyboard. So it's so the, the power of relationship is another thing. That absolutely. Absolutely. And then knowing what we're doing, that this isn't something that's just benefiting us for us to have to be recognized in the Jeep community. This is something for us to recognize our communities as a whole, to bring more awareness to what they're doing for our community and how can we help them? So we do that. We, we do so many things during the year. We do backpack runs where these kids that need school supplies or sneakers or backpacks, we have all of our Jeepers load their Jeeps with school supplies and stuff. And then we meet the school district and literally we have 60 Jeeps there and they're crying because their parking lot's full of supplies. We do food drives for Palm Beach County Food Bank. We, um, during hurricane season, a lot of people don't realize we're like ready to go. Um, and we've actually have Jeepers, not just if we live here in Florida, we have some of our Jeepers that go to Texas and we'll go to Louisiana. We have chainsaws oh. and winches and our, our Jeeps are high water vehicles. We can do rescues and stuff like that. So we're always doing things for the so community. The Jeep community is bigger than just creating these events. It really is. And it's funny because now once everybody hears this interview, every time they're on the road, they're going to see a Jeep. And they're going to be like, oh my God, there's a Jeep. Oh my God, there's a Jeep. Right. There are so many Jeeps here and there's such a huge community spirit with the Jeeps. It's unbelievable. And so it, it's, we're powerful in numbers and there's so many here. And it, if you watch careful enough, like when a Jeep is coming my way on the road, you always see us give the wave to each other. We always <laughs> do. We are always connected somehow, some way. And that's why the ducks are also very powerful, which can I give them to you? Yes, okay. you're bringing out ducks. And my friends that are watching this, they're going to kill me because we have a lot of jokes about ducks. So, this is of, so I'm going to give you the small one first. So this one is basically the one that we put on the door handle of Jeeps when we see them. I appreciate it. And it has, as you can see from a marketing standpoint, it has our business card on it. It has um, on the backside, it has all of our social media pages. It actually has. So you just put this in any Jeep that you see. Yes. This is great marketing. Yes, yes. And then we also give it to, you know, Kids, kids, you know, if the kids see it and they love it, we also give them to police officers. We, I have several different themed ducks. Oh so my I God, have it's not just one duck. No, I have veteran ducks. ducks. I have police ducks. I have firefighter ducks. I have paramedic ducks. Anytime I see one of them, I give Great them branding. Yeah, Great marketing. that way they know because who knows if they have a Jeep. When we see a really special Jeep, nice ducking Jeep. Yes. So when we see, oh, this is the biggest duck. Yes. So when we see really special Jeeps or we see a Jeeper in the community that's done something really amazing, they get a special duck. So this gold duck is yes. the most important duck. Yes, yes, it and is. I can keep this. Yes, that's yours. So I'm the biggest duck. Yes, right you are right now. This is amazing. <laughs> I appreciate it. And then we have here. Boy, there's more ducks. No, no more ducks. But this is our poster for the event. Nice. And then this, these are postcards for the event. Nice. So when is the next event? It's March 25th through the 26th. 
We pushed 2023. it. 2023. Yes. Why are you promoting this this early? We <laughs> we promote the minute the event was over this past March. Very very few people know the under, the importance of that for marketing <laughs> reason after an event is done. Where did you learn that? Planning a wedding. The wedding is the reason <laughs> I know all this. Yeah. If you think about it, you get engaged. It takes a year uh-huh. to plan a wedding and um, it's crazy planning a wedding. And so for me, this is like having a wedding for a thousand people. And so there's no time to kick back and have a vacation. So basically what happens is, is that the event is over on Sunday. On that Monday, we're I back. I was told to hold the card. Oh, hold the card. Hold the card or hold the poster. Don't, don't worry. They'll yell at me in a little bit. You see when they pull all caps, that means yes, they're yelling at they're me. yelling at you. <laughs> I think let's insert it also. We're going to try to take a shot of the car and insert this flyer in some promo um, mm-hmm. while, while we're doing this. So, yeah, what made you... So, you say to promote this, it you have wristbands. Yes, those are the Mission 22, the Veterans for Suicide Awareness. Those are the wristbands. So, you part. create awareness and visibility for even your partners. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, we have amazing sponsors that help us with the event. Um, they um, are committed, literally committed to helping my husband and I get this event off the ground and running oh. because it does cost a lot of money to get the event running. Um, we're flying in country music artists from other states. We have a nice. huge stage built in the sand. Uh, we do car crushing with the Jeeps. We're going to um, film a whole behind the scene next year. Yeah, it's crazy. We have a massive bounce house for the kids so that they're involved. Axe throwing. We have about 80 to 100 vendors that come out. Um, it, it's it's crazy. And it's a lot of and fun. I think we should go live. Yes. Create a live event. Yes. And it's, I mean, it's unbelievable just to see, you know, even our, our police officers are out there partying with everybody. It's a a community. It really is. You know, um, city council members are out there having a blast, you know? And so for us to even have, like I said, the, one of the biggest things for us to even have general admission for free is because we want the community to come in there. No cost, no obligation, just come and check it out. And you're, they end up having so much fun. I think organizations like yours most definitely what we should support in this community and also getting sponsors involved because you're bringing so much value into this community yes. from just the community outreach side, you know, inspiring kids to want to get into the Jeep, the Jeep community. Now I was like, I feel like I have to go get a Jeep. Right. And you it's know? a hobby. It keeps them busy. It keeps them, you know, entertained. You know, um, I always tell people that Jeeps are the most, um, accessible uh, accessory uh most accessible accessorized vehicle out there you can do anything with a jeep i've seen some crazy jeeps. yes like any cut co- like any color combination wraps wheels i mean light bars uh lift kits i mean it's crazy yeah, a friend of mine had a jeep i think he said he used to take it like you know water to mm-hmm. a certain level yes. you know mm-hmm. um, not ready for that yes um, yeah my jeep is insane i've got a mini iPad that controls everything and my walkie talkies, my CB radio. I've got everything. You have CB radio. And yes. Because mm-hmm. yes. just in case. Well, when we go out, you know, there are trails that we go and when we go up to North Florida, we're, you know, oh gosh, Ocash, Ocala National Forest. My Jeep's been to Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. So you get on your CB and like. Yeah. 
Ten four. You got to go back to like caveman times when no, there's no wire, you know, cell yeah, phone service. Well caveman time, wherever <laughs> that's out. I don't think I'm gonna do well there. So lots of mud, lots of water. Just lots doesn't of, work with me. Just does not yeah. work. So what's next for you guys? Like, what is it other than the event? Like, what could people do to help out to support? Well, the biggest thing right now is that if anybody is interested in being a sponsor, you're not just becoming a sponsor and writing us a check. There's a lot more that goes into it for the event and with us. Um, um, I'm literally on social media 10 to 12 hours a day. Clearly. Yes. 1,200 people a day will make you do that. Yes. And one of the things that we do is we make sure, I always tell a sponsor, if you're on social media, I'm sorry in advance because you're going to get like a thousand notifications from me because we announce them, we promote them, we talk about them and what they do. If they have advertisements, specials, things with their their company, they get posted by constantly me. Constantly bringing value and creating correct, visibility. Correct. And then on top of that, they're helping the community because the more money that our sponsors bring in to help us with the bills that pay for this event, the more money that we bring in from the raffles and donations and everything all that money goes back to our not-for-profits. And, you know, I think everybody is so, right now is the most important time because everybody was so consumed with COVID that a lot of these not-for-profits couldn't do events. They couldn't raise money. They couldn't collect That's money. True. They couldn't do those things for two years. So, but I, I am. And so in order for me to keep this event running successfully, then I have to be able to give money back to those not-for-profits as well. And so um, the sponsors, the companies that are out there, they're getting so much value by just having their name on things. They're a part of what we're doing to help the community. So the mission is bigger than just... Just having a Jeep event. You know, it's much, much more than that. And then we also ask, you know, our vendors that come to this event to promote and sell... Um, don't necessarily have to be Jeep vendors. We have plenty of Jeep vendors that come here selling their tires and rims and whatnot. But other local businesses, one in particular is Jep Dog. He owns a pet store um, on Singer Island and it's mm. like a pet boutique and great guy, cool stuff for your pets. And he actually sets up a vendor tent at our event as well. So th there's vendor opportunities also Absolutely. for the local people. Absolutely. To get their name out there. You know, the car washes that are out here, anybody, the local mechanic shops, whatever there is out here. There's a thousand cars coming in. Correct. You have a direct market. Correct. And it's not, again, another great idea with the whole um, general admission is free is that a lot of the people that are coming in to just check out what's going on because they see tons of Jeeps rolling in is, you know, what's going on in there? Well, you have people that don't own Jeeps walking into this event and then they get intrigued and they want to walk around and see all the vendors. And, and now it inspires them to get Jeep. A Jeep so or have you guys no. work with Jeep to get a sponsorship from them? It's very difficult to get I mean, a sponsorship. Point, you, you, yeah. do, you should definitely be a sponsor. Yeah. They, Jeep is their, um, Jeep is their own and, you know, saying they, which is one of the reasons why um, we don't just name the event, you know, Jeep's on the island or we, cause Jeep does want a percentage of the profits. Of course. So we, um, they're aware of who we are, whether or not someday. Yes. They'll probably, they sponsor Jeep beach in Daytona. They actually give a free Jeep to raffle off. So we would love I to get to that time, point. Jeep. <laughs> we would love to get to that point, you know, but we're just now going into our third year and we do understand that it takes time to grow. Um, so it requires a lot of patience. So I think Rachel asks every guest that come in here and have a conversation with me, would you hire yourself and why? Yes, I would hire myself. Um, 
just some of the things that are important to me is having the motivation, having the passion, having the organization, the responsibility. Um, and I have all of those things, you know, it took me a while to get them all in check and where I needed them to be, but that's what I look for in people. Um, I can't hire somebody that owns, you know, a, a BMW to help <laughs> me in the jeeping world. You know what I mean? So, but they have to be passionate about, they have to be passionate about the community, not just about what goes into their pocket, you know? And so when I see those things, it's, it's definitely it, what I want for you. Mm-hmm. Well, Rachel, very impressive. Thank I'm you. extremely happy what you're doing in this community. Thank you. I'm all in. I'm definitely going to be part of a lot of different things. I think I could, I know I could bring value to my team. Not, not just, not, not me particularly my team. I think we have a lot of things we could bring value to, to you guys to expand this and do what you're doing now and just mm-hmm. keep it um, growing. But I, I, I won't miss another off Island off road <laughs> Jeep and music festival. Um, and I, you know, we'll, we'll do more. Uh, and I think Thank we're going to document it. We're going to show people. I think a lot of people would love to see behind the scene yes. of how you do all this. Because yes. it's not an easy thing to host an event, especially um, in this capacity. Um, I think that is also something you should add to your thing of hosting events and building events and the process of doing all that. So, and, and if you think of your next thing. And, and I want you to leave all your information, how people can get in contact with you, how they can do more research on you. Absolutely. Um, please. Sure. So the, um, obviously on Facebook, you can reach out to us. Um, it's Rachel Marshall hyphen Morgan. Um, I usually pop right up. Um, you can also find us at Island Offroad on Instagram. We also have a website, which is www.islandoffroadfl.com. You'll find all of the information, pictures, everything of what we do, our musicians, the process of what we do is on there as well. Um, and then, of course, come to any of our events. Come check us out at Cars and Coffee. Come check us out at Supercar Week in January at Jeep Village. Check us out at our event. Check us out at any of the local businesses that we help and do meet and greets at Prosperity Brewery. Uh, we do a, a Boca Bagel Bash every once a month on Yamato. So we're always there. So if you come check us out, talk with us, and we'll, we'll be there to help out. How's the bagels? Yeah. Bagels are very yummy, even though I'll I shouldn't be the eating them. Yeah. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good job, Rachel. Thank I'm you. proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. We're done, Matt.